Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cast podcast. We'll come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome once again to a weekly recap. This week's weekly recap will feature men's basketball, women's basketball, and the Batcats. One of those three was really good. Anyway, the other two happened. The other two happened. Verifiably, they didn't need a occur. But we can just dive straight into men's basketball. The first matchup was down in Stillwater in Gallagher Iba Arena in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It was a 73 to 68 Wildcat victory. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about the stretch of Iowa State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State being a very critical stretch. It was true. Uh, I think I projected us going one and two. Uh, I'm an idiot, apparently. <laughs> I might be stupid. I mean, I think I think we might have both had us uh had K State going one and two in that stretch uh of games. Because I mean we were coming off of that stretch of losses to tech and OU. And so uh vibes were not great at that point in time. <laughs> so I I think that's what the logic was, but yeah, now all of a sudden we we were definitely proven wrong and I'm happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, we, I was kind of worried about Gallagher-Iber Arena, and then we, you know, K-State fans just decided, no, this is our home field now, <laughs> and, and just showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the away crowd uh, traveling uh, for K-State was pretty fantastic. One of the better away basketball crowds I've really ever seen, because it seems like for basketball, generally, teams don't travel super well. Uh, just because a lot of times the games are at awkward times that don't really work for people as well as football might. So now that was really, really good. Uh, looked, it was really on the broadcast because uh, you could really audibly hear uh, chance at the end of the game when uh, it was clear that we were going to win. Uh, so I'm glad that we were able to get down there and represent. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to, you want to cover the starters as is tradition? Absolutely. Uh, so getting going with the Oklahoma State game, uh, Marquise Noel played 39 minutes, um, went five of 12 from the field, three of eight from three to nine of 10 at the free throw line, uh, had five rebounds, eight assists, seven turnovers, four steals, and 22 points. Uh, so a little shy of a double double with points and assists, uh, and turnovers were really high, uh, with seven, um, but you still get eight assists out of them. And that's just kind of the Marquise has been uh, present the last little while where he's still producing, but just kind of turning the ball over a lot because he's going to take the risky pass. And I'm starting to get more used to it finally, um, but it still is a little bit painful a couple times a game when uh, there's a, a bit of a careless turnover. But four steals is really, really good as well. Um, Keontae Johnson, he played 39 minutes as well, 7 to 13 from the field, 3 of 5. From three, I had five rebounds. One of them was offensive and an assist, two turnovers, a steal, and 17 points. Um, Desi Sills played 30 minutes, was three of seven from the field, four of four at the free throw line, had four rebounds and assists, two turnovers, a steal, and 10 points. And then rounding out the starting lineup would be Cam Carter and Naquan Tomlin. Cam played 20 minutes, had seven points, uh, one of two from three. And four assists at the free throw line, had three rebounds, three assists, and a turnover. 
And then Anquan Tomlin had six points, perfect three three from the field in just 17 minutes of play because uh, he had foul trouble again. Uh, then four rebounds, uh, four fouls, and then one turnover. Uh, so again, it's the Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson show with Desi Sills making a guest appearance and everybody else kind of chipping in where they can. Uh, but I, I, I don't know what else to say other than that's a pretty standard day. Yeah. Uh, for the starting lineup, it was a difficult first half. Uh, the second half was pretty dicey at times as well, but um, Keese and Keontae Johnson uh, both got things figured out down the stretch. And uh, Keese going three of five from three, that's pretty awesome. Uh, 60% uh, is fantastic. Yeah. In terms of the bench players, David Gasson went three of four on 19 minutes, getting four rebounds, one foul, one assist, one turnover, one block, one steal, six points. So at least getting something in every stat sheet except for uh, three-pointers and free throws, which, you know, maybe the free throws are for the best. But Ish Masood ended up playing 14 minutes, two of six from the field, one of four from three, one rebound, two fouls, one turnover, five total points. Then Taiki Green and Bebe didn't score a point, but Taiki uh, attempted, well, both attempted a field goal. Taiki's was a three. Taiki ends up getting three rebounds, three fouls, one block. Bebe ends up getting one rebound, one foul, and one steal. So I, I think the best way to kind of describe this game was just a, it, it verifiably happened. It was, it was a weirdly pedestrian game. <laughs> like it, at least that that's what it felt like to me Where, wherever maybe that's me coming off of the game that happened last night <laughs> but you know, it, it just felt like a ho-hum you know we got the victory cool kind of game um i do think that is probably you talking about the uh game that just happened because yeah. i completely forgot it's been a few days uh oklahoma state had like an eight point lead it's like 12 minutes to go and things were not looking good. Uh, they had a six point lead uh, under 11 as well. And then there was kind of a back and forth uh, for uh, for a bit. And uh, it wasn't really a sure thing until. I mean, if you really want to say sure thing until um, Keese hit um, a couple free throws to put us up seven was under 30 seconds to go uh because the game got super dicey there for a while at the end uh oklahoma state led by one with six minutes and 23 seconds left they made a three to make it 60 to 59 uh but from there they'd only score um eight more points and we'd score 14 and end up winning by five they made a meaningless jumper with nine seconds left and we ended up winning but it was a a grinder on the road against a really good team that we knew was good from the first time that we played them. Uh, this game did happen a while ago at this point. And, but at the time it was huge. Uh, this was a, a pretty much a must win game. I think for, at least it felt like for K state, um, because breaking the road curse and getting another sweep of a team and, helping position yourself for a good seed both in Kansas city and also in the NCAA tournament, uh, that, that makes down the stretch, basically every game important. Um, so I, I was pretty happy with the performance. Definitely, uh, struggled at times, 
Um, and we uh, kind of let them back into it there at the end of the first half. Uh, and I, they actually had a six point lead at one point, but we had to narrow that. Desi Sills was huge down the stretch in that first half as well. I had those two free throws and he had the steal and made the layup like right at the buzzer to make it a two point game. Uh, he, he was really big, big energy guy. Um, but there were 11 lead changes in this game. There were five, uh, times that the, uh, score was tied. Drum Tang got a technical in this game. Um, yeah, there, there, a lot of stuff happened, uh, in this game, (laughs) but it's just been a while. And, uh, we, I think, I think we've all kind of collectively forgotten about it since the game had just happened, uh, which I, I, I remember earlier this week, I was like actively trying to remember what happened in this game and it was working so much better, but I've ingested so many OU game highlights over the last like 24 hours that I, I can barely remember like what happened in the game before, but like 16 turnovers is a little high, uh, only getting 11 out of. Uh, Oklahoma State isn't great, but eight steals. Got to be happy with that. And out-rebounding uh, Oklahoma State as well was something that surprised me. We had 33, and they had 30. We also had seven second-chance points on four offensive rebounds. So pretty efficient there, honestly, I think, for our standards. Um, and we were able to generally attack the paint. Oklahoma State got a lot of points off turnovers, which is unfortunate. But um, all in all... Uh, this was a, a gritty game where we played better down the stretch. We ended up shooting 52% in the second half and 49% for the game. And then 38% from three on the game, 45% in the second half. And then 85% as a team from the free throw line, uh, which is really, really, really good. So mm-hmm. um, super happy with the performance from this game. But yeah, uh, definitely some bumps in the road. Yeah. But what matters is we got the dub at the end of the day. And then we got to move on to senior day up against Oklahoma. This was uh, it. Di- it didn't hit me until the the final alma mater played. But this was my final game as a student, uh, final basketball game as a student at K-State. So it was it, it was uh, I'll say a touch emotional. Um, I didn't cry. I teared up a little bit, but I did not. I did not cry. I thought I would. I'm not going to lie. But this was an 85 to 69 Wildcat victory. And it was it was one to remember for several reasons. And none the least of which was just about every single play that we made in the second half was basically just specifically designed to be sports center bait. I, I, I don't feel bad about saying that. Because most plays that we made in the second half were quite obviously sports center bait. The Desi behind the back pass, the Marquise behind the back pass, you know, just stuff like that. I what do you yeah. say? <laughs> um, well, I'll lead with you got a much better last game than I did as a student, because mine was last Baylor? year that what's that? Was it was it Baylor? No, it wasn't Baylor. Um, it was OU again, but we lost by seven uh, to OU last year on senior day. And uh, yeah, I remember that just being like a really unsatisfying, like dull thud to the end. Because, uh, well, Baylor was my last football game. Oh, uh, yeah. 
as a student but no yeah that was a not a fun time uh that last game and there was like maybe four thousand people there like they listed they're listing 6600 on uh the website but there were not 6600 people in that arena on that day and that was probably the most barren student section i've ever seen too but yeah we you you got a, a a much better deal and you're absolutely right about uh the sports center plays uh this was a super fun game to watch especially in the second half we scored 51 uh, in the second half that is good allegedly and OU actually had a pretty good second half offensively too they had 44 points uh, in the second half um but they got locked up in the first half and a lot of those points did come pretty late um uh, they had two guys that were like kind of killing us um whenever they got to the bucket uh with the uh, um Uzon and Owe but really nobody else like did anything um like those two guys combined for 38 points like everybody else was kind of struggling along but yeah we definitely had a bit of a slow patch there in the first half um OU had a bit of a lead and and then we just took off from there. Um, just complete domination, really. Um, from the kind of ending portions of the first half, where like that last like sequence at the end of the half with the behind the back pass from Desi and the steal and between the legs pass from Marquise to David Gasson, uh, that five point swing there was huge and um pretty much sealed Oklahoma's fate like obviously it didn't feel like that at the time but I think in hindsight that that was about it for Oklahoma unless they could get out to a hot start in the second half which they did not and then K-State was able to kind of coast from there say for one point where it got a little bit close it never got to single digits but it was a little bit too close but then we stretched out again a little bit more and everything was fine but um, I can get into the starters now. Uh, for once, we have a non uh, Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel leading the scoring. Uh, it was Naquan Tomlin. He granted was cheating because most of his made shots were dunks, <laughs> which I, I, I can't imagine what it was like being in the student section for that second half with all uh-huh. the dunks and incredible shots going on. Because, um, I mean, as a team, we... We're just not missing in the second half, it felt like. Um, and uh, Tomlin, he goes eight of nine, two of two from three as well. <laughs> Every time he should he, be allowed to yeah. do that. Um, he made a actually really timely three in the first half. We were down six, I think, mm-hmm. and he took a three. And I, I just was like, every time he takes a three when we're losing, I just groan, but then it goes in, and <laughs> I'm like, all right, fine. But and then he made another one in the second half. Uh, made his one free throw attempt, had five rebounds, um, did not have any assists, but he did not have any turnovers either. He had two blocks. Um, he had two fouls as well, so stayed out of foul trouble and had 19 points. Uh, and a lot of those were dunks. Um, according to KSU underscore fans, uh, dunk tracker, he's now got the most dunks in a single season in KSA history with 36, I think it is. So I think he's averaging basically uh, more than one a game, actually. Uh, right now, which kind of tracks, but um, fantastic game, especially great second half for Naquan Tomlin doing all that in just 25 minutes. Uh, that is pretty awesome. 
uh, had some great transition dunks, a uh, couple of big threes. Uh, good for him uh, to really have that that great day. Uh, throwing a couple blocks as well. But uh, Keontae Johnson, um, he played 35 minutes, 7 to 12 from the field, 2 4 from 3, 5 rebounds, uh, 1 foul, 2 assists, 3 turnovers, 3 steals, and 16 points. Uh, those three steals, uh, one of them led to a big Naquan dunk because uh, he stole it and had the outlet to Keese, who then did the uh, uh, like no-look wraparound pass kind of uh, to Naquan. He was just making things up at the end, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, Keontae, 2-4 from three um, is really good. He's been shooting really well from three, especially as of late. Sometimes he is taking passing shots up that I think he should take from three. Um, it's hard to complain that much about him, but sometimes he just needs to take the open shot. But I digress. Um, Desi still inserted in the starting lineup the last few games, 35 minutes, five of nine from the field, including a really great transition layup and a huge uh, dunk off of a steal. Uh, oh, do from three. He did make one, but they called like a phantom push off. At yeah. least on the on the broadcast angle, it didn't really look like much of a push off. Like there were worse ones than that that didn't get called in the game. And he made the three off of it, but the whistle blown, so it didn't matter. Uh, five six the line, pretty good for him. Nine rebounds, eight assists. So Desi Sills was flirting with a triple double. He was one rebound and two assists away from the first ever triple double. Uh, in KCA history, no one's ever done that. He had two offensive rebounds, three fouls, two turnovers, a block, two steals. That was a, a brutal block that I think is kind of getting lost. And the highlights of this mm-hmm. game is the crazy block that Desi Sills had on. I forget who it was. Uh, but victim. <laughs> it, it was somebody that probably didn't deserve the shame that they, <laughs> that they have received because <laughs> that... That was pretty rough. <laughs> what what he did. Um, I, I I've been very, very happy with how Desi's been playing the last uh, little bit now. Uh eight assists to two turnovers is fantastic. Uh 15 points for Desi. Um gotta love uh what he's been bringing to the table. And if he can continue playing like this, then this team really has a shot to go somewhere. Um, because Desi just brings another element to the game that you need, I think, because mm-hmm. Keese uh, is the outside scorer and distributor. Keontae can get to the bucket, a super athletic, and has outside scoring potential as well. And then Desi is just a downhill charger and energizer bunny sort of player, and that just wants to get to the bucket and basically be faster than you. Mm-hmm. Like, he He's the number three guy that I think that would really help. Although, of course, Naquan Tomlin, if he can continue to score 19 a game, then that won't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but um, great, great, great day for Desi. Keese, though, he had a really solid day, too, all things considered. Scoring, he came in uh, waves for him. Three of nine from the field, three of five from three. Only took two free throws, made them both. Three rebounds, three fouls, 10 assists, or just one turnover. Very quiet 10 assists. I did not notice that he had that many until after the game. I checked the stats and I was like, oh, good, oh, oh, good cool. job. But then he had three steals and 11 points. And Cam Carter, two of five from the field, two of three from three, one of two at the free throw line, five rebounds, three offensive rebounds. 
Uh, then a foul, two assists, two turnovers, and seven points in 24 minutes for Cam Carter. All in all, really, I think what we got from the starting lineup is basically everybody fit their role, I think. Uh, the only thing that I think maybe you'd like change is just Keontae scoring more points, I guess. But like that, that that's like the only way you could fit his role more. Because uh, I mean, Tomlin is just supposed to be a guy that dunks. Yeah. Like, like that, like that's him. That's Yamquan Tomlin and or Boombox Tomlin. Bo- boombox Naquan. Boombox. Boombox Naquan. But watching that get spammed under the OU. Like final yeah. announcement tweet was very funny. It was very funny, and <laughs> that may they, be the quickest a meme of ours has spread. Yeah, that that one is spreading pretty quickly. Honestly, uh, I'm happy with it. Although whoever started the uh, Yihante, uh, Yihan, Yihante Johnson with the cowboy hat, uh, I I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, super super funny. Um, but everybody kind of fit their role in this game. Uh, Keys. Did score, did hit his deep threes, but also had 10 assists and took care of the ball. Uh, Desi um, stuffed the stat sheet more than I think you could ever really ask for, considering yeah. he was very close to a triple-double, but you'll take it. Cam Carter took and made open threes, uh, two of three on his three-pointers. Uh, that's that's what you want from Cam Carter, is to be a guy that trails the play or just knows how to maneuver without the ball and also plays excellent defense. He might be the best defender on this team. Um, So got to love all this. Got to love everything that you got from the starters in this game. Yeah. Bench was pretty solid as well. Uh, David Gasson was had 16 minutes, four or five from the field, one of four from the free throw line, Uh, two rebounds, one foul, one turnover, nine points. Tyke Green coming off the bench, eight minutes, two of three from the field, oh, of one from three, uh, two fouls, one turnover, one block, four points. Abayami Ijiola had eight minutes himself, one of one from the field, oh, of two from his free throw attempts, which I I think that's the first time he's missed both. But um, three rebounds, one turnover, two points. And the shocking stat of the day is uh, Nate Aubrey scores more than Ishmael Nate Aubrey plays one minute, oh, one from the field, but makes both of his free throws to get two points. Ishwasud plays 12 minutes, goes oh, of six from the field, oh, of two from three, does get an offensive rebound, uh, does draw a foul or does foul once, then a turnover. So uh, aside from the, the fun fact of Nate Aubrey scoring two more points than Ishwasud, it it was another fine day from the bench. David Gasson, I think, has started frustrating me a little bit more because he has, while he was four or five from the field, it, there are a couple times when he just absolutely stone-handed a pass or just, like, d- gets decimated on a rebound attempt or, you know, misses three of his four free throws. So I, I don't think David Gasson is bad. I just, I think he's kind of regressed to the mean for him yeah and it, it looks like he aggravated his injury as well at some point in the game too because he had to leave the floor he came back in but he definitely didn't look the same after that but he also missed the free throws before that happened so that's not an excuse for that mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah there's a lot to like in the bench production too i think um i also did see some misinformation going on going around about nate aubrey he had scored a point before this game he made a mm-hmm. free throw against florida 
This yeah, was yeah, this was not his first career points. I saw even the official K State Twitter account, the men's basketball Twitter account, was like uh, saying. I think they said something about Nate getting his first career points when that is not the case. He he now has three career points instead of two. Uh, so give him that respect. Um, Don't disrespect Nate Aubrey. You yeah. give this man the points he's earned. Yeah. Um, ish. Honestly, his stat line's pretty bad, but. My thing is that he really put himself in pretty good positions. Uh, He was getting right to the bucket a lot. And the only thing he didn't do is he just couldn't quite finish and they weren't calling the foul and the contact. So I think that's just like kind of an outlier game for him. He missed he missed two open threes and he missed four shots at the rim that albeit were contested but normally either draw fouls or roll in but he just didn't get the luck of the bounce so i don't hold it against him uh rough night for ish but good night for everybody else um we can talk a little bit about uh the senior day uh festivities i guess if you want you were there so you'll know better than i did uh the the senior day festivities were at least in the beginning they were kind of like they were they were pretty standard you know the introduction of everybody having them stand in front of stand in front of their jerseys, introduce their family. I didn't know baby had a kid. Uh, <laughs> was that his child? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. Baby has a wife and child. I, I did not know that. I thought it was just like, they just like, like shipped like, like his nephew from like Nigeria or something mm-hmm. like, nope, that's I, kid. good for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so all, all the seniors, you know, the, the pregame I thought was fine. I thought it was tasteful, you know, just giving every one of them their moment. And then the postgame happened where Tang, you know, he takes command of the room. And there are very few people that can command a room like Tang does. And then he just gives all the seniors the the opportunity to talk. Uh, the highlight was Desi Sills becoming like... <laughs> This is might be a really weird poll that very few people are going to get, but he he genuinely was like the guy in the introduction of the Warriors, where I halfway expected him to just go like, "Can you dig it?" And it that's a deep poll that like maybe two people on this earth are going to get. But Warriors is a very good movie. But (laughs) you know, Desi ends up rocking the mic and rocking the crowd. Every other senior gets their words in. Uh, Bebe, you know, talks, Taiki talks. Those were definitely two of the the shorter ones because I I don't think that they're the they're the kind of people who are like necessarily crowd people. I think they're just kind of, you know, say what they need to say and then just get out. But Desi rocked the mic. KJ admitted that he's going to get a K-State tattoo. I wonder what what the tattoo is going to be. But of course, Keese talked, but it was all just it was good. It, it was a good senior day, especially, you know, to win. And of course, the the entire team coming up to celebrate with the students, with the Wabash. That was that was special. Yeah, I was about to ask about that. Uh, how how was that? Like the describe. Well, first of all, where were you sitting in the uh, um, this uh, arena? Row 20. Section 20, okay. 20 row 20. So were you like a little bit too far back to like be like in that crowd? Yeah. Like we, uh, I think we may have moved a little bit closer, but 
they everyone kind of circled around them. And I think we saw the mass of humanity and said, I don't feel like getting swallowed today. So we like stayed like a row or two back. But from what we saw, it was everyone was kind of piled in uh, watching. (laughs) Watching Bebe do any kind of dance is very funny because he participated in the tunnel dance as well. And Bebe's not a dancer. We'll say that. We yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll say the, that that, that kind of honestly tracks because sometimes I like see him like move on the on the floor and I'm like he looks a little stiff like like so th- does that carry over to yes. his uh, his dance moves? Yes. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, but senior day festivities were were really cool, and Tang leading Tang actually on the court with all the seniors held like arm in arm with everybody while doing the alma mater. Then of course it it capped off with one final sandstorm for the seniors at home. So yeah, I, I, that was the last thing I wanted to ask you about was the was the sandstorm. Uh, uh, did they like shut out the lights or anything like no. they they did they didn't? Uh, no, nope. they just played the song basically. All right, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, from my vantage point, I don't think I can imagine a better senior day because every senior was able to score uh because baby was not in the game and they realized he hadn't scored so they put him back in and he like got a rebound and got a layup and they took him out again yep that <laughs> was i i liked that every senior got a, a curtain call um i imagine being an ou fan watching that was probably infuriating because oh, we're, yeah. we're like can the game just end <laughs> and we just kept like having sub timeouts and everything um on the also another thing that was interesting on the broadcast uh they seemed to kind of be saying that they thought uh the um officials at the end of the game when Nate Aubrey was driving uh they called a foul even though it kind of wasn't one just to give him a shot to score um I don't know if that's something that they do um That'd be really funny if it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I believe it, but maybe that's the case. I'm not really sure, but I just thought that was something interesting that they that they mentioned. But it sounds like it was a pretty awesome environment. Did you get one of the hats? Yes, I did. Hang on. All right. I, I'm very happy to hear that because, yeah, that looks awesome. Uh, yes. That lavender flag, Willie. Yeah. You have to be very careful. You have to enunciate the L there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they uh uh made some awesome hats i i I was a little bit jealous of some of the gear that you guys were getting i uh, like that reversible bucket has pretty cool uh there's another uh hawaiian shirt this year i think too that one i couldn't go to because that was the game i had uh <laughs> ah no, that's too bad that's the uh, one i missed and that's the one i kind of wish i had the most i got two hawaiian shirts in my time uh, okay, so if I lost one, uh, I I don't know where it is. It, it's just lost to the ages. But Connor, Connor, don't worry. Whenever, whenever we're setting up the official Aggieville Alley Cats HQ, it will become our hat. I don't have to use your. That, you don't have to <laughs> donate them to me. They probably sell it elsewhere. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, they they do. I think they I think they said it sold out though. Like they put it on the. They put it online the day that the game was and it sold out because oh. anything lavender K State sells out. It, it does. Instantly. Yeah, it does. Um, 
I I hope that they make more lavender gear here pretty soon. But um, back to the game, I guess. Um, we pretty much covered everything. <laughs> only other things I wanted to talk about uh, was that um, we only had 12 turnovers as a team hmm. uh, and 22 assists compared to that. So 22 assists on 32 made field goals. That's a really good assist rate. Uh, love to see that. Uh, we shot on uh, the second half uh, from the field. Uh, 70%, 19 and 27 from the field uh, in the second half, 50% from three as well, four of eight uh, from uh, three-point land in the second half, uh, which is really, really, really good. Um, and then as uh, as a team, uh, just from, from two, from two-point range uh, in the second half, we were uh, 15 of 19. Uh, in the second half, which is 79%, uh, according to my quick and probably wrong calculations. Um, but uh, we were pretty much on fire the uh, entire second half. Uh, only 63% from the free throw line. But again, three of those misses were David Gasson trying his best. And then two of them were Bebe. Honestly, having uncharacteristic misses, he's actually pretty reliable at the line. So yeah. that was kind of unusual. But 44 points in the paint, 20 points off turnovers, 24 fast break points. That's going to win you a lot of games. Like, and that, and even in game, even in a game where OU didn't shoot poorly, they shot 43% from the field and 40% from three. And 84% of the free throw line. Uh, that's not a bad performance at all from OU, uh, from the free throw line and from the field, even, I should say. But they just couldn't do enough to keep up with us. Um, we just got to the rim a lot more. And, and that, that, that's really about it. Like, like we just, it's that simple. They didn't play an awful game. A lot of those makes did come late when it didn't matter, but we uh, uh we we we're just a better team, and I think that this is probably how the first game should have gone uh, if we had played to our full potential. But we get our revenge nonetheless, so can't complain too much. Yeah, can't complain about that at all. The last game of the season is up against West Virginia, and if we end up winning that game, we are guaranteed a two seed at the Big Twelve tournament. If we lose, it gets a lot more complicated. Uh, if we lose, everyone else loses. Like Texas and Baylor, if they both lose, we get a second seed. Uh, if we end up losing and one of them end up winning, it's the one who wins, unless both Baylor and Texas win, then Baylor goes because it. Wait. If Texas both Baylor is the tiebreaker, I think. Um, I I don't. I think it would be Texas over Baylor because their tiebreaker would be the record against us. But K-State relevancy, if we win, we get the two seed. If everybody loses, then we still get the two seed. Mm -hmm. If we lose and one of the teams loses, we get the three. If we lose and Texas and Baylor both win, then we get the four. So we are guaranteed at least a four seed. But I'd really, really, really like to get the two seed and stay on that side of the bracket. Um, because you get the two seed, then you get one of the play-in teams, and then semis, you'll ideally get a somewhat favorable matchup because I think you'll probably be on the opposite side of the bracket as TCU because I don't want to play TCU mm -mm. because that, that is a 
dangerous team uh, now that they are fully healthy. Yeah. But that is the men's basketball team. And now we can talk about the women's basketball team. They ended up playing two games, one against West Virginia, another against Oklahoma. Both were losses. Both were away. Uh, West Virginia was a 67-58 loss. And it was it's, – it's just another women's basketball away loss. You know, Serena Sundell plays 38 minutes, 9 of 13 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3. Got both of her free throws, 4 total rebounds, 3 fouls, 4 assists, 7 turnovers. Very uncharacteristic of her. Uh, 2 blocks, 3 steals, 21 points. Jalen Glenn, 38 minutes, 4 of 13 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3. Uh, she's gotten pretty pretty hot from 3 recently. Uh, 4 rebounds, 4 fouls, 2 assists, 4 turnovers, 1 block, 3 steals, 12 points. Gabby Gregory has an uncharacteristic not-double-digit day. Uh, 37 minutes, 3 of 10 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. Did make all three of her field, field goals. Sorry, that was a hiccup. Uh, 10 rebounds, 1 one foul, 4 assists, 6 turnovers, 9 total points with a steal. Briley Glenn, 23 minutes, 2 of 8 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3. 1 rebound, 1 foul, 2 turnovers, 5 points. And then Sarah Shamatsi. Ends up playing 11 minutes, 0 of 2 from the field, both of which were threes. Three rebounds, two fouls, and no points. So, like, the, really all you got to look at is a couple of stats here and realize, oh, that's why. Uh, the seven Serena Sundell turnovers, that's not like her at all. And then Gabby Gregory not getting into double digits, that's rare and also not a winning formula. So, Yeah. No, yeah, you're 100% right. Um, Sundell, super efficient from the field, but that that's really it. Um, and bench-wise, not a ton of production if your name isn't Eliza Maupin. Uh, but she played a really good game. I mean, she had 11 points on 5 of 7 from the field. Did miss two free throws, but she um, still gets nine rebounds. 25 minutes almost had a double-double. She did foul out and had three turnovers, but... 11 points and nine rebounds is good uh, for Eliza Moffin. Emily Ebert did not score in 24 minutes, had two rebounds, three fouls, a turnover, and three steals. And Heavenly Greer played four minutes and had a rebound. Um, 27% from three as a team, 41.8% from the field uh, overall, and 66.7% uh, at the free throw line. And this was, yeah, I, I think you said it well. This is a classic. Uh, women's basketball road game where we get down by a lot early. Uh, we, in the second quarter, we trailed at our widest margin. We trailed by 19, uh, 19 to 38. Uh, third quarter, we trailed by as much as 18, uh, just about two minutes in. Uh, by the end of the third quarter, we had narrowed it down to five. And early in the fourth, we actually tied it. Uh, about 30 seconds in, we tied it at 45, but we still end up losing by nine. Uh, just could not find a way to to hold on. I mean, that's story of the century, I guess for for this team. Uh, narrow the narrow the margin and just not able to hold on and find a way to finish strong uh, and finish it out. But yeah, West Virginia. Just 
able to hold off a furious comeback from the uh, uh, women's basketball team, unfortunately. Uh, seems we're really good at the comeback, but not very good at holding it once we get there. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the best way to say it. it. It's worth noting that there was never, ever a time where K-State led in this game. So yeah, yeah just that one tie in the uh, in the fourth quarter. That was it. Yeah. So there's not much to say about that one. This next one, there is quite a bit to say um, because it hurt and it, it hurt more than normal. Because it was a matchup down in OU, a ranked OU squad, and really amazing OU squad this year. It was a 90 to 86 loss, ended up taking overtime to take us down. And uh, yeah, I'll, 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 we'll talk stats before we talk everything else that happened. Serena Sundell, 39 minutes, 11 of 17 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 9 of 16 on the free throws. Keep that in mind, that's important. Three rebounds, three fouls, four assists, six turnovers, three steals, 33 total points. Yeah, very good. Um, 45 minutes from Jalen Glenn, eight of 18 from the field, three of 10 from three, two of two on her free throws, seven rebounds, three assists, one turnover, six steals. (laughs) As you do. Wild. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, as one does. Gabby Gregory, 44 minutes, 5 of 15 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3, 3 of 6 on her free throws, 6 rebounds, 4 fouls, 3 assists, 4 turnovers, 3 steals, 16 points. And then the rest of the starters happen. Briley Glenn plays 4 minutes, probably. I think she got hurt. Then uh, 1 of 1 from the field, 2 points. Sarah Shamatsi plays 16 minutes, 0 of 3 from the, the field. All of those were 3s. Three. 3 rebounds, she ends up fouling out. 1 assist, 1 steal, no total points. So once you cover the vastly impressive bench, we can we can talk about this game in a general sense. Yeah, um, bench Eliza Moppin uh, had a really good game, um, one of her best. Twenty-seven minutes she played, uh, five of nine from the field, four of six from three. Uh, ended up, or four of six at the free throw line, I should say. Uh, had 14 points, five rebounds, three of those were offensive rebounds. Uh, and a lot of those rebounds, she just comes in flying from absolutely nowhere. And she, it, it's very impressive to watch. And she Move also... The top rope! Yeah, no, she caught a, a, a lob at one point. Uh, we run those with Mahapanalaza, a backside lob play. Um, yeah, those five rebounds, two fouls, just two fouls. That's pretty notable for her. Uh, then two turnovers, a block, and a steal. Um, fantastic uh, performance from Moppin. She played a lot down the stretch, especially with Shamansi having really is not a good game at all, uh, fouling out in just 16. Um, but if you wanted bench production for anybody else, you weren't going to get points. Um, Rebecca Dollinger, Heavenly Greer, and Emily Ever all played 15-plus minutes uh, and did not score points. They were combined 0-6. Dollinger had two fouls, one assist. Uh, she did have three steals, at least, which is good. Um, and Greer um, fouled out in 16 minutes, had an assist, a turnover, a block, and a steal. Uh, and then Ebert had four rebounds, a foul, three turnovers, and a block. Um, but yeah, just 
a really painful ending after really not having much faith uh, at one point in this game. Uh, but uh, you want to get into that now? Yep. All, All right. right. So at one point we were down by as much as 30 to 8 in this game. That is notable. That is extremely notable because, you know, you play the majority, like you play the, the first half. Granted, you match them 21 to 21 in the second quarter, but that doesn't change the fact that you were outscored 24 to 8 in the first quarter. So Connor and I had pretty low expectations for the rest of the game, and then they drop a 28 to 13 third quarter, K-State does. We're like, okay, interesting. And then they end up leading for, you know, towards the back end of the fourth quarter. We had eight seconds to hold, I believe at the time it was a three-point lead. Okay, that's doable. You just need to make your free throws. Um, Well, someone bricks one. I don't remember who bricked the first one. It was like, well, okay, it's still a three-point game. And we end up getting fouled one more time. Serena Sundell goes to the line. The normally reliable, really amazing free-throw shooter, Serena Sundell, goes to the line. You think, oh, no worries. We're, get, we're on our way to win this game. There's six seconds left. It's a two-point game with Serena Sundell going to the line. At minimum, she makes she bricks both. Yeah. And OU ends up going right back. After we end up fouling them, they just come up with an inbound play and score two. We're going to overtime. Yeah, it was a... Uh... Uh, KC, yeah, it was back and forth that entire fourth quarter. Um, OU did stretch it out to eight at one point, but KC cuts it back down and is eventually able to take the lead with two minutes to go. Uh, and they extended a little bit all the way out to four after a uh, a pair of made free throws, 28 seconds left for Jalen Glenn. So we led by two possessions with 28 seconds to go. Um, OU makes a jumper with 19 seconds. Um, bad foul call on Sundell. Like it was just a bad call. Uh, it did not matter because OU missed a shot. We rebound. Um, there's a foul. Gregory misses a free throw, six seconds left. And then she makes the second. So three point game. And then we foul, um, before they inbound the ball, uh, to since with the three point lead, you foul. And you uh, let them try and make their free throws. And they only make one. So he's down by two. They foul us. And Sundell misses both, which is super uncharacteristic. But your two best players going one of four at the free throw line in the final 10 seconds of the game is just brutal. Um, I, that, that one hurts. Yeah, there, there's no getting around that. Uh, Sundell, who she had a fantastic game, uh, probably the best game of her career 79% free throw shooter, 80% for her career, um, and just not able to convert in the big moment. And then OU gets the rebound, calls timeout, and then the play they ran really wasn't super complicated, it was just misdirection. They pass it into a really good shooter, and uh, then just run a back door with the player that passed it in and our defender just fell asleep and basically let them go right to the rim pretty much untouched. And they make the layup um, right at the uh, 
end of regulation, take it to overtime, and then they just kind of outplay us. And that that that's it. But what a frustrating game uh, to finally get the shot in your last road game of the season uh, to get your first road win, your first first road win all season against the 16th ranked OU Sooners and potentially spoil their Big 12 uh, title bid, or at least their solo Big 12 title bid. But instead, there's no way to other way to say it. We blew it. Uh, despite a fantastic comeback, one of the better comebacks K State has had in any sport, but nobody's going to remember because we lost the game and that that just sucks. We've like we shot eight of 30 on the game from three, uh, including two of 14 in the first half. Uh, we had a five of seven third quarter from three, which is good, but. 60% the free throw line pretty bad and if you're if your two best players make one more free throw uh at least one more free throw in the final 6 seconds of the game when they had four attempts then that's probably a dub right there if they make t- if they make two go 3 or 4 combined then that's a uh, uh, two possession game i think at that point mhm which it just hurts because like mm-hmm. it's games like this that show the potential that this team has talent wise and just not able to convert. And despite going down 22, fighting all the way back, a fantastic comeback. And it at the end of the day did not amount to anything. And K-State still runs the risk of finishing at 500, which I don't know if that think you can make it to the NIT at 500 but I don't know for sure I don't I don't remember if it's 500 or above or above 500 uh to be in the NIT um but really 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 tough showing from K-State and just didn't really play clutch basketball I in those last like few seconds of the game I think we, I think that we were surprised to be there, mm-hmm. maybe, and we uh, just didn't really know how to handle it. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what all goes into blowing a a lead like that at the end. But man, that that definitely sucked to watch, and would definitely hurt a lot more if we weren't also playing OU and men's basketball at the same time. Yeah. So we were able to get. Um, pretty quick revenge in that regard, but um, I don't know. I, I've been talking for a while. I guess. What are your thoughts? I don't like that. It hurt. Made me sad. It made me sad too, man. <laughs> I I just it. I, I'm. I don't want to say I'm over it, but like I've. I'm over it. Like in and by it I mean the women's basketball season. I'm I'm over it at this point. <laughs> like, and I, that's such a terrible thing to say about a K-State sport, you know, a university I love, a team that I love, but I'm just I'm over it. <laughs> Cuz our, our last game is up against Texas. 
I'm sorry. I, I, okay, first off, what genius thought it'd be a good idea to schedule Texas as our senior day? <laughs> um, I don't know, but unfortunately, it has to be somebody. So, um, I, I, I guess we just got the short end of the stick there. Um, although I seem to remember them, maybe they weren't our senior day last year, but I know we played them fairly late in the year. They were not our senior. They were our second to last home game last year we had west virginia at home for senior day last year so i i digress on that but uh yeah getting frankly getting texas at any time isn't really good um i'd simply rather just not play them because they're a dominant force of nature that we will get our wish yeah that yeah they're they're an unstoppable force of nature that faces a very movable object um when they uh face us especially in austin um I don't know. I guess never say never. With I definitely didn't think we'd have a shot against OU, uh, and we nearly got them. So, I guess it comes down to if Mitty can get the team motivated uh, and try and carry momentum into Kansas City uh, Municipal. But I, I think I might be with you. I think I, I think this season has about uh, had the curtain call. Uh, I think the the show's about over on this women's basketball season. Uh, which is unfortunate because his team got off to such a good start. Like I was very excited about this team for a while. Um, yeah, see, that's where they get you. That's where they get you. Same thing. It's like the bat cats, but well, the bat, you know what you want to serve that you want that to be the transition. <laughs> yeah. Might as well. We have to talk about them at some point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So the bat cats, um, we're not going to go through on a game by game basis because all of them are losses. We lost to number one LSU three to seven. We lost to Sam Houston three to eight. We lost to Iowa five and six. We left Texas five hundred. Then we're like, oh well, Omaha University of Omaha. They're not a very good school. Like they're they. I think they'd won one game before this game. You know, oh, we're leading six to two. Like and in going into the seventh inning. Oh, this would be an easy. We lost six to seven. Is that bad? It's it's it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. So uh, it, we can start with the positives. So that way, people who want to hear the positive part can go on with their day after, so they don't have to experience what's going to come after. Brendan Jones, massive positive, really good hitter, came out of nowhere. <laughs> He gets on base. Billy Bean loves Brendan Jones. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah. I, I will I will quickly break down Brendan Jones uh, stats mm-hmm. uh, simply because they actually are pretty good for the most part. Uh, one for three with a run and a walk against LSU as a leadoff guy. Um, and he stole a base as well. Um, two for... Uh, 0 for 2 with two strikeouts um, against Omaha, but uh, walked three times. So he still scored two runs. I don't know why my games are out of order. Uh, Sam Houston, 1 for 3, draws another walk, scores another run. Uh, And then against Iowa, uh, he stole two bases in this game. Went 3 for 5, scored a run, had a strikeout. Not bad. 
fact, <laughs> good even. But he's he's been a really good leadoff guy for us so far this year, and I am pleasantly surprised because he didn't really he played some last year, but not a ton. And out of kind of nowhere, all of a sudden, he's been pretty impressive so far this year. I think he's batting nearly 400 uh, as things stand. He was above 400 prior to the Omaha game, but I mean, he only had two ABs in that game because of the locks, but I digress. Brendan Jones, good. Brendan Jones, good. Uh, Roberto Pena is a pretty solid power bat. Uh, Owen Borama proved that he can he can pitch at this level and he can do it effectively with his stellar outing up against LSU. Yeah. Uh, he definitely I, got pulled too early. Yeah. I think, I think he should have finished his inning. Um, I get why, but I disagree. Yeah, I, I like, like, like he just hit a batter and I think we were worried that it was going to get out of control, but then it did get out of control. Um, well, yeah, it, it, yeah, it got out of control. We'll, we'll talk about that in the negatives. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, other outside of that, I we have a few. Uh, our our catchers defensively are great. Both Caden Phillips and Rafael Pelletier. Uh, our bullpen has a few young pieces that I really like, especially Mason Buss and Ty Rule is still very good. If you wanted the positives, there you go. You have them. Here we go. So <laughs> here, here are the things that are not good. Firstly, Pete Hughes and his managerial decisions. We mentioned earlier that we think Owen Borama should have continued his outing up against LSU. But that's fine. Sometimes you get paranoid and you pull a pitcher too early. That happens. But what shouldn't happen is you take your best reliever you let him pitch for a lot of the game. You know, you let him eat up some innings. You see him get into trouble and then completely leave him out to dry. You basically look at Tyrule, your best reliever, and say, no, I hate you. Die. See, the thing with Tyrule is he actually only pitched two innings, but he faced 13 batters, which was only five fewer than Borima mm -hmm. because he really, you're right, he got left out to dry. Like he threw Borma through 68 pitches and four and a third. Tyrule threw 51 and two. So suboptimal. I agree with you. Yeah. I, you know, he he has a tendency to like he will take really effective pitching, especially from relievers. Like he'll take effective reliever Tyrule. Granted, that wasn't Tyrule's day, but he should recognize that. Mason Buss in the Omaha game is another good example. Mason Buss is a really good, I think, one to two inning guy. He was asked to go like past his limit, and then he was pulled way too late. And then Colt, like Weissenbecker, has to pick up the pieces, and he can't like he's too like I don't want to put the that that's what I think you need like a fireman experienced reliever. And this is no disrespect to Weisenbaker, because I think he's another one of our are going to be a really good bullpen piece. But he shouldn't be our fireman. Mason Buss had a good outing up until that last inning. He gets pulled, and our fireman is another true freshman. And then predictably, because he's a true freshman, it has nothing to do with his actual ability. 
just sometimes when you're a true freshman, you get rattled. So that inning, we end up giving up four, and that's the inning that ends up deciding the game. And Pete Hughes just mismanaged the entire situation. And it's frustrating. Man. Yeah, it's putting it mildly. Um, another thing worth mentioning on that Omaha game, uh, we had uh, four guys get caught stealing in that game. Uh, Dom Hughes, Nick Goodwin, Cash Rugely, and Caden Phillips all get caught stealing uh, in the uh, uh, Omaha game. Brendan Jones, the only successful stolen base uh, in, uh, in this game. Uh, fielding, that's not we haven't even talked about fielding yet. Um, that well, well, ha- well, before we talk about fielding, there's there's one notable injury we have to talk about, and that's to Kalen Culpepper. We probably should have mentioned this first. Yeah, Kalen Culpepper in the ninth inning of the LSU game ends up breaking a bone in his hand. It's speculated he will be out to four to six weeks, and that is big because Kalen Culpepper is. Without a doubt, I don't care what the errors say at the beginning of this year. Kalen Culpepper is our most consistent and best defender, especially yeah. at third base. And you want proof of that? Look at what happened when we tried to replace him. <laughs> I I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolute disaster class, uh, especially that first game um, that we, we tried to replace him. And there's still been issues um i mean we had four defensive errors against omaha three of them from first baseman who granted he is a freshman but he was he was getting pulled off the bag a little bit but also some of the like he was dropping catchable throws but third base figuring that out has been a whole separate beast pena has been okay there and uh, he's been fine like not like really bad or anything i think we wanted to keep him at second but he's just gonna have to live with it for now brady days um running second base now but this team is already a team that needs a lot to go their way to win baseball games and losing kalen goldpepper makes it even more difficult because he is one of the most talented guys on the team uh and is probably a future draft pick and losing him for any amount of time is a massive uh, handicap to this team. I there's really no getting around that because he just he brings so much to the plate. He's he's really a complete player. Uh, there's not much that he can't do effectively. He's got really good plate vision. He makes really good contact. Uh, he runs the bases really well, and he's a really good defender too. Um, last year he really only had one series. Uh, with bad defense and that was at tech and half of that was because the sun was at a weird angle yeah. when he committed his errors and this year he had a bit of a rough start but that's that's the outlier to to Kalen Culpepper um but man uh, that that really hurts this team that and being so far inconsistent at best um with starting pitching um is um Granted, a lot of that is fielding issues. Uh, we don't field well, even when it doesn't show up as an error. Jackson uh, Whitworth is getting screwed. Yeah, Jackson Whitworth has a really bad stat line. There is no getting around that. It is not entirely his fault. In fact, it is not. It is mostly not his fault. Uh, he's giving up a lot of hits right now, uh, but at least some of that 
has to be placed on the field. Um, and he, that man needs help. <laughs> he is not getting it right now. Um, I, man, I don't, I don't know what, what do you, you, you take the mic. You say something. <laughs> All right. So specifically with Jackson Wentworth, the the new pitching coach Darrow has has shifted the philosophy from last year. Where last year it seemed like it wanted to be a lot of power pitching and a lot of strikeouts. This year's philosophy, according to Brian Smaller in an interview he did with Darrow, and I, I trust Brian Smaller, is the pitching philosophy this year is fill up the strike zone. Cool. That's a really good philosophy. You can win a lot of games just by filling up the strike zone and inducing weak contact. However, you have to have the defense behind it to actually justify it. And guess what? We don't. And the problem is that it's not just one person. Because if it's just one person, oh, if it's third base, you know, just keep plugging people in there until eventually you make it work. We... Like, okay, our outfield defensively is fine. Uh, maybe sans arm strength for two of the three positions. But our infield is a disaster. The only piece that I feel consistently good about their fielding is Brady Day at second. And that's not because I feel great. It's because I know he's not going to pee his pants the moment he steps onto the field. Nick Goodwin has developed as a fielder, but he's still inconsistent at best. Orlando Salinas should never be playing third base again. I don't think he should have been there to begin with. And that's no disrespect to Orlando Salinas. That's me saying that Pete Hughes needs to do better as a manager and knowing exactly what his players can do. Orlando Salinas is a right fielder slash first baseman slash designated hitter. That is exactly what his role should be, and it shouldn't be anything different. Roberto Pena has done a solid job filling in at third base, but he's not going to replace defensively what Kalen Culpepper can do, and that's exactly what we're asking him to do with a system that requires us to get weak contact. And then whenever we put Kai and Lotus at first base, we're putting a lot of onus on him, even though you're asking a lot of a like first baseman. Oh, it's like, oh, that's a pretty simple position. No, it is not, especially for a true freshman who is by trade a second baseman. <laughs> Anything else? As you can tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think you summed it up pretty well. I, I think you summed up my thoughts too. Um, but I, I think you're right that right now the infield is just not in a sustainable position. I will... The one thing that you can grant as leeway is that Kalen Culpepper getting hurt is a massive blow. Like, there's no getting around that. That that hurts. But that, that is still not uh, an excuse for uh, the the really poor performance uh, of the infield over this last week and a half or so. And it's, it's a shame because we were very worried about pitching coming into this year. And the pitching has, especially over the last little bit of time, been better than I thought it would. Um, granted, there have been bad moments. Um, Tyson neighbors gave up a, um, go ahead home run to, uh, um, Iowa 
um, in the ninth inning that we could have at least gone to extras. But regardless, I guess, there's plenty of other issues in that game. Omaha, um, we definitely didn't have a fantastic game there either. We gave up a home run on the very first pitch of the game. Uh, that that's suboptimal, I'd mm-hmm. say. But and and we uh we walked uh five batters, only got seven strikeouts. Uh, not not fantastic. Hit a couple batters as well. Um, not great. Not 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 great. But the pitching hasn't been terrible it's definitely like Borma has a bad era right now but that, i don't think that's reflective i saw and i sent this to ace there's a video of Borma uh with an overlay of his fastball change up and either curve or slider and it's really good yeah like like it's break point is like pretty late and his release is exactly the same and that makes him a hard guy to hit off of and definitely they were saying on the uh, broadcast that he he was just kind of anxious before that first game had the jitters and that was obvious because he pitched really well against a team that is a fantastic power hitting team in LSU so he did really good and he deserves a ton of credit for that and uh, Wentworth is trying his best uh, Fajardo um, is um, up and down he He's kind of the same guy as last year. Sometimes he's on, sometimes he's not. And that's just that's just Herman Fajardo. But yeah, the the outfield's fine. Like I hate to keep neglecting them in this commentary, but they they really do be existing and that's about as far as it goes. They've had yeah. some misplays and a couple of issues, but not enough to really throw them in the same category as the infield right now. And it, it's definitely been an uphill battle for uh for this infield as things stand especially with Kalen Culpepper being out that makes things even harder so I know it's a hard job to figure that out but we want to win we want to win baseball games and we do not do not want to lose to Omaha <laughs> I'm going to for a fun little exercise I'm going to run through Omaha's schedule so far this year um for the record, they are currently playing at the time of recording. Um, they are playing BYU and Provo. I will check the score, and this is the best that I will be able to do. So it will be incomplete uh, com- compared to what we have now and what will be available at the time that you listen. It is 11 to 12 in the bottom of the 10th. That is not what I expected. All right. <laughs> Omaha is losing. But actually, I, th- I think this means that BYU just won. Yeah, BYU just won. Anywho. BYU wins that game. First game of the season for Omaha. They lose 16 to 1 at UCLA. Next game, they lose 23 to 0 against UCLA. Then they lose 8 to 1 in the get- in the getaway game against UCLA. They go play a four-game series of Fresno. Lose 2 to 1, lose 3 to 2, lose 13 to 4, then they win 1 to 0. With their their lone run being a solo homer and they beat us seven to six. The big thing you can take away from that is Omaha stat line, one run, zero run, one, one, two, four, one. And they dropped seven against us. And they they tied their season lead in one inning. They did. 
good catch. And, and it's not a coincidence that we had four errors in this game and generally didn't really play a very good game. We allowed some, some unearned runs in this game. Uh, In fact, we allowed two unearned runs as far as I can tell, which is the difference in this game. That's the difference between K-State L and a K-State dub right there. So, yikes. I i don't know what else to, to say or go from here, but Batcats have had a rough start to the year. There is a silver lining, which is they are about to play at home. And that generally means good things for Pete Hughes baseball. Um, if we don't play well at home in the non-conference, then it's going to be a long, long season. Y'all are going <laughs> to have to check on me. Y'all are going to have to check on me. I may not be okay. <laughs> yeah, I I fear for your for your sanity if the Batcats start losing a home. That, that that's going to be a dark day. The the problem is that Army was a regional team. Stonehill's bad, but Army was a yeah. regional team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a. A solid squad right there, uh, Army is. Um, at least they they were. Um, and Stonehill, I was unaware of their existence until they appeared on the schedule um, out of nowhere. Um, also, this the format is really odd for our games. We play Army, then Stonehill the next day, then Army the next day, then Stonehill again the following day. So we have like a four-game series, but we alternate teams. I'd rather not, but okay. It doesn't really matter, I guess. Yeah, um, whatever. But yeah, Army. I'm looking up Army's baseball schedule right now. They're four and two uh, right now. Not a lot to draw from it. They've won both their series they played so far against Air Force and at Charlotte. They both they won both series two to one. So Stonehill's zero and four. Um, let's hope that they remain winless because if Stonehill beats us, then I might spontaneously combust. Like. I, I don't know if I'd be able to mentally handle that. Anyway, I should beat, beat them 20 to zero. Yeah. Let, let, let's get our, let's get, let's get a bit of our swagger back. Right. Yeah. Uh, because if we don't next week's episode might be worse than this one, but I, I I'm let's, let's be done. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be done for now. Yeah. It's rough stretch for the bad cats. But there's more games to play. Yeah. Things could change. Indeed. But one thing that I never want to change is the weekly recap episode having the wacky segment of the week. So this week's wacky segment of the week is if one Big 12 coach had to imitate Mike Gundy for a day, who would do the best impression? So, like, uh, assume that they get a pretty solid makeup team. It's all about imitating the actions of Mike Gundy rather than, like, the body type or the physicals. Okay. Um, I think tentatively, I'm going to start including new big 12 schools. Okay. In these. So I'm going to, because I mean, we're playing them this year. Yeah. So I feel like that's fair. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Dana Holgerson of Houston. Okay. I, I don't know why other than he kind of gives off Mike Gundy vibes. Um, 
I think they both wear visors. So clearly they are the same. Exactly. I, I, I that's pretty sound logic to me. I like I can't argue with that. Uh, my selection, however, is going to be someone who is leaving the Big 12 soon, and that is Brent Venables. And the reason I say that is because it's not because they're both coaching schools from Oklahoma. I think they just probably would have very similar outlooks on life, uh, mostly because Brent Venables learned from Bill Snyder and then Dabo Sweeney. It, you can read into that as much as you'd like. You can read into that as much as you would want. <laughs> But uh, I really do think that Brent Venables, like if they if they switched souls for like a day, like Freaky Friday style, I'm not sure many people would notice. <laughs> I'm really not. Eh, I don't know, man. It's gonna be interesting here for Oklahoma State football wise. Uh, Gundy is. This is a make or break season. This is Oklahoma State. 2023 may go down in history as K-State 2018 when it's all said and done. And it honestly could be good timing for them. They just announced $350 million of facility updates and new sports up like facilities and stuff like that. So they can kind of usher in a new era of their sports complex. I think there's some football expansion going on uh, with the new coach. So Maybe they don't want to pay a new coach at the same time as they're paying for all these new facilities, but I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I know that's kind of off topic from the wacky segment, but it's not as if it has structure, but no, <laughs> bro, we, we spent like 20 minutes on an episode talking about the Sphinx and Mount Everest. Who cares? <laughs> that is true for, for like the 20% of our audience that listens to this part, but, <laughs> <laughs> but do you have any, any final notes for the episode, Connor? No, I do not. I don't either. So wait, no, all. I do have one. Oh. I do have one. Um, I, uh, I, I am enjoying all of the uh, updates that are happening to Big Twelve tournament. Um, the like new camera angles and being in the huddle and stuff is cool. Oh, yeah. But I will say that I'm very interested in the uh, concession items that they have. They're specific to each team. I think that was a fun thing that they did. Oh yeah, the Wabash Cannon Dog. Yeah, I think we got the best name out of yeah. everything. I will say I'm very skeptical. I don't like relish already. Purple relish makes it even more skeptical. Yeah. I hate to say it, um, but I honestly am most interested in the uh, like Jayhawk like mac and cheese. Like I thought that looked really good. It was ma- mac and cheese, pulled pork, uh, some like onion strings, I think. Mm-hmm. It sounded really good, actually. Um, then there's like a Dr. Pepper float. They didn't know what to do for Baylor, so they just gave him a Dr. Becker float. <laughs> no, that's exactly what they like. Everybody else got like something at least close to thematically correct, and they just looked at. I, mean, I guess Dr. Pepper's kind of like a Texas thing, so I, like, I get it, but it, it it does, even though like it is like thematically on point, it feels like it's not if that yeah. makes any sense, but yeah, no, oh, I don't know why I had to interrupt the ending of the episode just to say, hey, concession items at the big 12 tournament like anybody cares but it's our show man if we that care, is true that matters <laughs> that is true so uh just wanted to bring that up might try and make it to the game um uh, even if what if either case is playing or not so uh because my spring break will be happening uh around that time so i'll be in tennessee and georgia 
So you won't be making it. To I the won't game. be making it there. <laughs> but yeah, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact or follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Cats and Instagram at the same handle. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you still love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.